This evening we shall consider the foolish farmer. Foolish farmer. That's in Luke chapter 12 verses 16 through to 21. In the parable of the foolish farmer, the Lord Jesus Christ talked about a rich man who had a plentiful harvest. We shall look at what he did with his harvest and most of all, we shall consider his attitude of heart towards God. However, before we do that, we shall consider certain verses that precede the uh, parable in order to help us to better understand the farmer's sin that was exposed by Jesus, the sin of covetousness. Let's just have a look at verses 13 through to 15 for a moment. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. What we have in Luke 12 is Jesus, he had been teaching a crowd of people. We see at the beginning there, there was a multitude in verse 1, an innumerable multitude of people. He'd been teaching a crowd about the very weighty and serious matters of eternal importance, such as not fearing men who can kill the body but no more, but rather fear God who, having killed, has the power to cast body and soul into hell. Maybe you have heard from preachers um, that people, they take themselves to hell because of their sin. I don't know if you've heard that. That's kind of, I don't know if they don't, they're, they're too shy or, or whatever to acknowledge what the Bible's actually saying. Did you know that? That people take themselves to hell because of their sin. I've never really worked out how that happens. I don't know how I can take myself to hell. But what I do know is God, he is the one who casts people into hell. This is what Jesus had been teaching. And various other things that Jesus had been saying to the people there. He went on to talk about him denying before God all who through fear of other people deny him. That's a warning for all professing Christians, isn't it? You deny Jesus before men, he will deny you before God. Very weighty subjects, serious matters. And then there was a certain man in the crowd who said to Jesus in verse 13, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. You really would have to wonder if that man had been listening to Jesus. Because it would appear that he was more concerned with some precious inheritance than about anything that Jesus had just been talking about. Never mind that the Lord had just been talking about God casting people into hell. 
You can see it for yourself there in verse 13. One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Immediately before that, Jesus had been talking about Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven, and things like that. Various serious things. You can tell what this man was more interested in at the time, and what was going on in his mind. His inheritance. And it would seem, I don't want to stretch this too far, but it would seem that he was waiting for Jesus to pause so that he could ask Jesus to arbitrate between him and his brother over some inheritance. What about you? Since this service has started, it's been going now for half an hour, have you, instead of focusing your thoughts on the word of God, been more preoccupied with other things, particularly about the money and the possessions that you have, or that you would like to have. I'm not saying that you have been doing that, but it's very easy for our minds to wander, and uh, wander and to think about these other things. Possessions, money, things like that. Look at what Jesus said to the crowd after that man asked him to arbitrate between him and his brother over an inheritance. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spoke a parable unto them. So, in those verses there, after the the man had, had asked Jesus to arbitrate between him and his brother over an inheritance, Jesus gave that warning, take heed and beware of covetousness. To covet can simply mean to desire something and the desire can be perfectly innocent and even God-honouring. For example, if I was to say to you that I covet your prayers concerning my ministry, all that means is that I have a desire for my work as a pastor to be remembered by you in your prayers. And I know that people here do pray concerning my ministry and I do covet those prayers and I thank you for them. However, there are many times that even though the thing that is desired is perfectly innocent, the desire for it is or the desire for it becomes obsessive. And that is not a good thing when the desire is obsessive. For example... When all you can think about during a church service is, shall we say, your favourite football team, coming off money and material things for now, but you're thinking about your football team, how did it get on today, or how will it get on in that important match? Or maybe you're thinking, well, as soon as this service is finished, I must see what's going on on Instagram or Facebook, or whatever it is. Or maybe your fingers are just itching to get onto that um, uh, that game that you were playing on your tablet or on your smartphone. I don't know. But you're thinking about other things instead of being focused upon the Word of God and worshipping God. That level of desire crosses over the boundary into sin. 
and it makes you no different to the man who was preoccupied with an inheritance. Even when Jesus was speaking um, about spiritual matters of eternal importance. In the parable that we shall now consider, a rich farmer was similar to the man in the crowd in that he was preoccupied with himself and with earthly riches rather than being focused on God and on treasures in heaven. And Jesus exposed that rich man's covetousness, his obsessive desire. Let's have a look at verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. The man was rich. There's nothing wrong about being rich. There's nothing in this parable to suggest that his riches were the proceeds of crime. The, the, the parable says nothing about him being a bank robber or uh, a politician fiddling his expenses. All we know is that he had an abundant crop. There are numerous examples in the Bible of great men of God who were rich. For example, there was Abraham, about whom it is written in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, that he was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And then when you come to the New Testament, there was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man and a disciple of Jesus after the crucifixion of Jesus Joseph prepared the body of him for burial and laid him in his own new tomb there's nothing wrong with being rich and being privileged in this world for example in the 18th century the Countess of Huntingdon founded a sect of Calvinistic Methodists that's an interesting one isn't it Calvinistic Methodists she used her right as a peeress to appoint evangelical clergymen as her chaplains and she built chapels in Brighton, Bath, Tunbridge Wells and other centres of, of aristocratic society. In 1768, she established Trevorca House in Talgarth, Brecknockshire, at her own expense for the training of evangelical clergymen. So she used her position and she used her wealth for the glory of God. Let's have a look at 17 through to 20. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then Whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? In verse 17, it's written that he said, well, that he, well, first of all, that he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? He thought within himself, and this is what he was thinking in himself, 
what shall I do because, and all the rest of it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? Thinking within yourself. I, I do actually think sometimes. And not only, not only do I think, I give voice to my thoughts. I speak to myself. He was thinking to himself. Um, quite often, Pauline catches me talking to myself. When I'm alone in the garage, she can hear me chatting away to myself. Or when I'm in the bathroom, she can hear, she says, are you talking to yourself again? And uh, hopefully there's nothing in itself wrong with thinking to yourself and even giving voice to your thoughts. However, as we shall see, it wasn't quite so innocent with the rich man. In fact, his thoughts and his words were a symptom of his selfishness, a selfishness which results in greed and covetousness, that obsessive desire. How many times did the rich man say, I and my, in verses 17 to 20, those verses I've just read, I and my. You can see it's all about him. His thoughts were all about him and his abundant harvest, his riches. It's about 11 or 12 times. It depends which version of the Bible you've got. That's a lot and it indicates just how self-absorbed or selfish he was. He reminds me of the Pharisee who stood in the temple. We looked at him last week, didn't we? And he prayed thus with himself. We saw that in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. He was another one whose thoughts were all about himself and his achievements rather than being on God and on eternity. The rich man in the parable that we're looking at now, he was thoroughly selfish. Make no mistake about that. First and foremost, he ought to have given thanks to God for giving him, well, in the first place, such fertile ground and secondly, such an abundant crop. But all he did was consider where he might hoard his earthly riches. Again, that was what preoccupied him, his riches and not God. And that is covetousness. He had it all mapped out, what he was going to do. He was going to build bigger barns. And, well, that makes sense. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? He had all that great harvest. He needed somewhere to store it. He was going to chill out and have a good time, eating, drinking and being merry. But again, without a thought for God. And that is the problem. That is a very big problem. And that is wickedness. It's, it's, it's wrong to do that, to, to, to enjoy the things of this world and not to give thanks to God and not to give God a thought for what you eat, what you drink, whatever it is that you have. You really need to be thankful to God. So what did God have to say to that rich man? We've seen it in verse 20. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? 
that rich man, he would have done well to read and take heed of Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, in which it is written, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. But he didn't, did he? And God called him a fool, meaning senseless, meaning stupid, sinfully stupid. God had other plans for that man that most certainly did not allow for him to take his ease, to drink, to be merry. That very night he was going to die. And as for his precious precious earthly goods, he would soon be saying goodbye to all of them. Last of all, Jesus said in verse 21, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. This is when all of you who have not been concerned about the warnings in this parable and the plight of this rich man really need to sit up and pay attention because Jesus warns of the same end for everyone who is not rich towards God. What we can see in this parable is not just the sin of the rich man. It's not just, it's not simply um, about a rich man. It's his attitude of heart towards God. He was not rich towards God. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be a prince. You can be a pauper. It makes no difference because this parable gets to the heart of the matter. It speaks into the Hearts of people who have no interest in God, no interest in eternity. Those hearts belong to rich and poor alike. I'll show you what I mean. I am going to turn away from Luke's gospel and go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In verse 17 there, we are told that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, from God. Everything, every breath of air that you inhale is from God. It doesn't matter who you are. Every morsel of food that you gorge yourself with or you, or you turn your nose up, nose up at, it is from God. The raw materials that are used in the production of your clothes, the designer label clothes that you love to wear. Where does it come from ultimately? It comes from God. The sunshine and the rain that sustains us, God provides them. 
And so it goes on. How often do we think to thank God before we stuff our faces with food? Before we enjoy the things in this world? But not only does God provide every good gift and every perfect gift with regards to our physical and our material needs, his giving goes way beyond that. That's just the beginning of it all. Look at 1 James chapter 1 and verse 18 again. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James, when he was talking about God providing every good gift and every perfect gift, ultimately, James was talking about spiritual gifts. We see that in verse 18. He was talking about being born again. That's what he means when he says, of his own will begat he us. Born again by the God, the Holy Spirit, through the hearing of Of the word of truth we read in verse 18. Through the hearing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Similarly the apostle Peter spoke of being born again. Not of the incorruptible seed. But of incorruptible by the word of God. Which liveth and abideth forever. And also as it is written in John chapter 3 and verse 16. That verse that we probably all know so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, the giver of every good gift, the giver of every perfect gift, gave his son, his only begotten son. You really are the fool if you are not rich towards God for the good things that you have in this world, and most of all, by far, you are a fool, you are sinfully stupid if you reject his greatest gift of all, his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and every other blessing, every other good gift, spiritual gift, every other perfect spiritual gift that flows from having received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour. Blessings that we read of earlier on in Psalm 103, such as forgiveness of sins, redemption from destruction, and there's also everlasting life, peace with God, and so it goes on. A heavenly inheritance... As we finish, I have some questions for you. Primarily, are your thoughts directed towards material things and earthly riches rather than towards God? I'm not saying that you're not allowed to think of these other things, but what are your priorities? We have seen in Luke chapter 12 the priority of the man in the crowd there. As soon as he got a chance, he asked Jesus to to arbitrate between him and his brother over an inheritance. We've seen in the parable that followed the rich man who was not rich towards God 
All he could do was think to himself, saying, what can I do? What must I do? Oh, I know, I'll build greater barns and then I'll put my feet up and enjoy myself. Take it easy. Not thinking to thank God for all that he had. And that, of course, is a symptom of something far more serious. Ultimately, not thanking God for the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater than Jesus coming into this world. And it is the highest arrogance and selfishness to not thank God for the gift of his Son. And the wrath of God abides on such people. The wrath of God was upon the man in the parable there. You fool, this very night your life will be required of you. That doesn't mean to say that if you reject Jesus that you're going to be dead before midnight strikes. But it does mean that you need to be fearful of the God who casts body and soul into hell. It's not my job to try and scare people to salvation. But this is a serious matter. Each one of us, we are sinful people. God is holy. And still he sent his son into the world, his only begotten son. Repent if you haven't already done so. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive him. Believe on his name. And he will give you the right, the power, the privilege, the great privilege of being a child of the the living God. How wonderful is that? If you are someone who professes to be a Christian, do you compromise your Christian walk for financial or material gain? Because this this um, parable is not just a challenge to those who reject Jesus. When it comes to it, when the rubber hits the road, what do you put first? You or God? How do you respond when you lose something valuable? I'm not saying that it shouldn't bother you, but just how precious are your material possessions? Have you received God's greatest gift to a fallen world? Have you received Jesus as your Lord, your Saviour? Are you trusting in Jesus as the one who paid the penalty at the cross for your selfishness, your greed, My selfishness, my greed, our sin. By the grace of God, do you thank him with all your heart for giving you his son Jesus? Blessed are you if you can see that whatever you have in this world, it pales into insignificance compared with the infinitely greater riches of knowing Jesus and having him as your saviour and your Lord who loved you and who gave himself 
for you. Amen.